Welcome to the Intercut Film Club here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we take a look back at a movie that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's never eating at Benihana again, it's Arturo Zurita. We got to go to the places that got the biggest, uh, the, the biggest write-offs. You know, we need, we need those lamb chops or whatever it was that they were getting off in this movie exactly, to, uh, exactly. to be accounted for. Yeah, we're trying to get our numbers up. Uh, it is Scorsese-tober here on Ooh. Intercut, where in honor of the release of Killers of the Flower Moon later this month, hey. we are going back to look at a selection of iconic Scorsese movies, some that we've seen before, others that we're catching up with. Uh, but first is a film that I think many fans of Marty don't really need to catch up with because it is the highest grossing film of his career. It's The Wolf oh, of Wall Street, set to celebrate its 10th anniversary of release later this year. Uh, Arturo Scorsese's rollicking look into the debaucherous life of Jordan Belfort has inspired praise and ridicule. But 10 years out, where do you stand on The Wolf of Wall Street? It's a classic. Uh, yeah. uh, you just saw Killers of the Flower Moon, so I know we'll be talking about it later. But to even just tease people, you would say that the man still has it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a like, he's a craftsman who has somehow gotten like better and better as he's learned Easily. more and he's yeah. just so in control uh, of pacing and tone and character uh, which has only developed one. more since Wolf of Wall Street Easily and uh, you know I remember when Wolf of Wall Street first came out and it was one of that mo- one of those movies that got a lot of backlash for multiple reasons right yeah. uh, looking at the runtime of it this is a three hour movie back in what yeah. 2013 2012 what year was this because I always, I always mix it up depending yeah. on 2013 would have been the 2014 Oscar year which was crazy amounts of uh, quality that year. Um, but that this is a three-hour movie. Right now, we're dealing with all these three-hour epics that people are like, I don't have a bladder for that. You know, the last Scorsese movie with the Irishman, people were splitting up on Netflix to watch his episodes. Mm-hmm. Man, before Endgame, this man already had a three-hour movie that went by so fast it felt like it was 90 minutes, you know? It does feel like, like we're getting, like, more of them in theaters than normal. At least exactly. At a greater rate. So maybe that's another yeah. way in which Wolf of Wall Street set a trend. He beat that 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, I know this was a movie that got a lot of backlash because of the the, the content. You know, this is a real story mm-hmm. about Jordan Belfort who manipulated and used a lot of people uh, while he was in Wall Street. And, you know, you look at Goodfellas, you look at Casino, you look at a lot of these movies that he's done, Scorsese, and you're following bad people. And a lot of people confuse, especially right now, this idea of certain movies or shows covering a bad person that that means that they're glorifying that person when it's the complete opposite in my opinion um with the wolf of wall street you're showcasing somebody who's ruining a lot of lives and everything that they get for it i think you were describing it as like it's not so much about what he can get away with but why he can get away with it within the system right Um, right yeah uh i i think it's aged even better because it's mm-hmm. not really telling the audience, like, these, these are okay things to do. It's, like, showcasing to the audience how he's able to get away with it. It's pretty Absolutely. much become, like, another fight club, you know? People get worried that if you like this movie a little too much, that you're there to, you know, raise up the numbers for the wrong reasons or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just all the debauchery, yeah. debauchery that they do in this movie. Totally. And and there's certainly charismatic elements to it. Like, we love McConaughey's performance in it, you know, as, like, awful as... DiCaprio's 
character's behavior is in the Quaalude scene. DiCaprio yeah. is amazing in the Quaalude He's scene. Incredible. It's like Jim Carrey-esque physical comedy combined with his yeah. dramatic abilities as well. Uh, it's even though these are like entertaining moments in a largely entertaining movie, I think what's cool is that it's not didactic and it's not telling you how to feel. It is simply presenting the the like awful choices and actions and the complete disregard for the well-being of those around them, including the well-being of those close to them that these people yeah. uh, act with and allowing you to decide this guy is pretty awful. This guy who right? is assaulting his wife and treating pe regular people over is pretty awful, even if he seems like he might throw a fun party. What's interesting is like when people complain about these things, you know, we get into the breaking bads of like. Mm -hmm. Should he be doing that? It's like, well, obviously not. But that's the story, right? Is that you've had Leo be this in other movies. Catch Me If You Can, The Aviator, another Scorsese film. Like, he has been this despicable character who we know is a bad guy. But those were farther along away. Right. I think because Jordan Belfort is so recent, especially when the movie came out, that that's why mm -hmm. people felt like this extra push against the movie and didn't realize, like, you're just admitting you're falling for him. Right. And not realizing, like you just said, he smacks his his partners. He's yeah. abusing people. But the movie does this very interesting thing where it never shows you the people that he's screwing over um, through the stocks. A lot of the times they're just over the phone. Um, so you're not really seeing that pain, which allows this manipulation of you to follow this guy. And you just you fall for him. There's this yeah. charisma that he that he just oozes out. It's the reason why he's able to pick up, you know, the Jonah Hill character. He's able to have this entire what floor that's like. Telling him that he's not going, you know, like marching yeah, along with them. Yeah, not fucking leaving. Kicked out of there. They're going to have to send in the National Guard. Um, yeah. There's just so much energy in the movie that I think like you and I are always quoting that you got to get those rookie numbers up. Yeah. Uh, a, a bunch of lines within the film that, again, like the fight clubs of the world, like uh, a lot of other movies, uh, American Psychos, you're attracted to these performances and the characters mm -hmm. who they are. And people don't realize that showcasing these people at the rawest element is how you need to do it. You can't stop yeah. the movie to be like, and that's a bad guy. You're Absolutely. seeing the bad things. If you're going like, I think we're falling for this, you're you're admitting you're falling for it. I think the movie yeah. very much rides the line of showcasing to like we were saying, it, it's it's a it's in the title, bro. <laughs> he is the wolf who is prying on Wall Street. Absolutely. You know? And Scorsese has never been a person who shies away from that. In Goodfellas, he's not telling you, go follow the Goodfellas. But we all right. love Goodfellas. We yeah, all it's, love, uh, I love Casino. Um, I mean, it start, Goodfellas starts with my whole life, I wanted to be a gangster. Be that a gangster. doesn't mean, like, you should be a gangster, too. Like, look at what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's already given us a template of how to watch these movies, right? He's like, right. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. He got away with stuff. He didn't get away with stuff by telling you he was a bad guy. Hi, I'm the wolf. Nice to meet you. <laughs> he was charismatic. And I think when people had the pushback to it, it was like, wow, I'm kind of falling for this guy. And they didn't realize that. But I think that's what makes a director like Scorsese so profound. He is not afraid to showcase to you someone who is this invigorating, someone who is, you know, doing a quaalude scene and you think it's like the funniest thing in the world. Right, right. He makes it like you're there getting swept up and what allowed this person to get away with everything. Yeah, and something that I've heard as a criticism of the movie, you brought up the three-hour runtime. A lot of people think that is maybe a bit of a long time to hang with this, that the last hour of the movie in particular is a bit of a letdown, but that's on purpose. It is a letdown because it is the big come down for this character. You, you can't oh, just... 
yeah, you, you can't just have the highs and and walk away with that same kind of message. You need to see some of that downfall as well. The crash, and, and yeah. I, yeah, and I, I think that it's really like, it, it's really in the comeuppance part of the movie where maybe it starts to be less of like a rollicking good time and, it, and that's, people brush up against that. But I think it's perfectly, I think it's really necessary as a balance, a counterbalance to uh, what we get yeah. when he's high and mighty. So don't promote his bad stuff, but damn, that last hour we're not promoting the fun <laughs> stuff. Like you know, right? it's it's a weird push and pull. But yeah, within the runtime, I think we have now settled to that. I remember that being a huge deal. How are they even going to fit it in? Yeah, it's normal, bro. Now now you're watching like three three hour films at the New York Film exactly. Festival as they start coming out. But in that idea of focusing on an individual who did bad things, without chastising them through the narrative, right. I think is is something that with media literacy, especially today, that people kind of waver on because they get confused that someone's going to fall for it in the wrong way. And I think yeah. you and I, especially with the way we cover things here, it's all about discernment, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a movie where he's telling you the people who he was able to abuse was because they didn't have that discernment. Totally. You're kind of proving the point where we can't even watch the movie without knowing that, right? Absolutely. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like with this being 10 years ago, I, I think people have not strayed away from that. I think mm-hmm. many times with a lot of the stuff we've been covering, even in, in the last year, people get very uh, antsy about showcasing something on screen, but it's like you have to showcase it. You know, Something yeah. like um, Spielberg's um, Saving Private Ryan. That shouldn't make you want to go to war. Right. But the way that he's able to viscerally put you in that like sequence, it makes it feel like an action-packed wartime moment that you want to revisit but not for the reasons that I think people end up falling for it in other movies. Like, you have to be able to bring people into it to the point that they uh, feel like they're in it. Absolutely. There, there are always going to be those people who kind of get the wrong message from the movie. And obviously, there are people who saw this and are like, I want to, you know, do coke and trade stocks like Matthew McConaughey. Quite, quite you know, that, exactly. Like, and, and I, I think... You know, it's it's like uh, you could go back to a movie like Wall Street too, and there are the people who heard yeah. "Greed is Good" and and took that to heart <laughs> they, as like yeah. that's what that's me. But that doesn't mean the movie is failing. It is just a failure of reading the the text of the film. And and I think mm-hmm. Scorsese does a really good job in, in like as you were saying, sort of like leading you along, like giving you enough like excitement to kind of lure you in and then show you show you some reality and, and bring you He's back down to you, earth. Yeah. Uh, but the way that the they approach this, the very like uh, it, slick-tongued, you know, fast-talking uh, lead character that sort of breaks the fourth wall to explain things from his unreliable narrator point of view, I feel like that's increasingly become a thing post Wolf of Wall Street, whether it's movies like War Dogs or The Founder, uh, even I, Tanya has elements of that through its documentary, American Animals or The Big Short. Uh, there's so many movies that we've called like the Wolf of Wall Street of of blank, like uh, Buffaloed, a movie we both liked with Caitlin Deaver, which is like the Wolf of Wall Street of like small time insurance claims or like uh, there's a couple of movies at t- uh, TIFF this year. I do not come to you by chance felt like the Wolf of Wall Street of Nigerian email scams and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's its legacy has really, really uh, had a huge impact on the way we try to tell these stories about outsiders or criminals or, or people who are, are these like objects of fascination for the bad things that they've done. Yeah. And it, it's not even just in the narrative perspective. It's that it really makes you feel like you're talking to the guy. 
It makes yeah. you feel like you're in a meeting with him. Uh, we always discuss, especially in documentaries, is the documentary from the perspective of the director or does it become almost like the subject, right? Like Moon Age Daydream has this flow to it that feels like it's something David Bowie would have wanted. Mm-hmm. This isn't told in a standard way. This is told like Jordan Belfort was yeah, telling the story. If exactly. If you've ever heard the man speak, you are seeing the visual representation of what it's like to speak to this man. It's mm-hmm. like seeing him, you know, the, the, the conversation at the end of the movie where he's still trying to sell the pen. I'm sure that that hour-long talk feels like the movie. He's giving you these highs, these lows. He's almost making you... He is screwing you over by making you think you've got the power. And I think that that's what gets a lot of pushback to uh, a lot of movies like these. But, uh, I mean, I think that's why it stood out. I don't know about you. uh, And I've been hearing a lot of great things about his latest performance in Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he didn't win it for this one. This was a a, a massive one that people wanted him to get the win for. Ended up getting it for The Revenant. Yeah. Looking back at it. Do missed opportunities. <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, to me, this is far and away the best Leonardo DiCaprio performance. I think it uses everything that is great about him. He's got that charisma, but he's got that, like, intensity. It's not just that he has this fall from grace, but he is so, like, locked in and and uh, aggro while going through it, too. And uh, I think DiCaprio captures that so well. I don't think there's any performance that I've seen from DiCaprio that's forced him to stretch this much. And uh, you can maybe argue that for The Revenant, but I just found the performance to be less compelling than I did this one. You know, McConaughey, his Wolf of Wall Street co-star, is actually the one who Crazy. took it for Dallas Buyers Club. It's a good performance, but I just don't think it has we don't the talk legs. About that. Yeah, we don't talk about it anymore. And, and you know, you mentioned mentioned before the DiCaprio dance that he does in the the popular GIF. I mean, like yeah. it's even stuff like that. It's really become this iconic performance that stood the test of time. It's it stands out not just as a film that can be studied. I, I remember early on, if you've got the poster pulled up, you can see that the yellow in the the font of the text for the box yeah. is the same color yellow in his tie, is the same color yellow as the confetti around it, is the same color yellow as the little dude that they're like throwing on there. The production design, the editing, all of it. This is one of the big movies in film school that uh, uh, we learned to break down. You know, uh, a lot of the aspects of cinema, and I think it hits on all totally. the cylinders. But then just in the culture, like we were saying. When you think of someone on a drug high, you've got that bit of them on the Quaaludes, like, coming back from the party, the way that he does his dances. You know, this, you were just mentioning Matthew McConaughey, no Mm. one's quoting anything Mm. from Dallas Buyers Club or even going back to revisit that turmoil or that hardship that should be, you know, representing that to this time. Hell, I'll I'll hear Philadelphia being discussed before (laughs) Dallas Buyers Club. I had the same movie on my mind, but you're so right? right. Exactly. But this scene of him going, mm hmm. The Fugazi Fugazi scene, that is still here. That still has cultural relevance. And I think that's an important part of it. Um, Yeah, I think it stood the test of time. I I had my little Wolf of Wall Street. Steelbook. The little steelbook right there that, you know, there's very few movies that you want to own different versions of. But when it's coming in in the 4K, how can you not? They screwed me over and my, my VOD could only be used in one place. I think it was the (laughs) Apple. But nonetheless, I mean, this is a movie that... I think is easily rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's content warnings, but like I don't know what to say. Like I don't again. It's a Scorsese I don't want to movie, yeah. Version of a of a Scorsese movie mm-hmm. of a guy who did drugs on Wall Street, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be this three hour uh, epic. If that's not for you, there's common sense media online that can direct you to Paw <laughs> right. Patrol, which won the box office this weekend. But for a movie that's 
trying to be as honest as possible, which I think is the biggest thing that I've always given um, Scorsese. He is a guy who tries to come in, not to handhold you, but to showcase what it's like to be in this group, be it a group of good fellas, be it what it's like to run the seediness of a casino in Las Vegas, Irishmen spanning across all this time to how you can be a loyal uh, servant. I can only imagine what Killers of the Flower Moon is going to do. But for here, you see him sweep up everybody. Everybody who's in that office, all of the people around him. I mean, he dupes his father. He dupes loved ones. It's, yeah, it's a, an incredible movie that showcases how people can get away with things because we allow them to. Absolutely. Uh, we talked about DiCaprio, who I think we both think uh, should have won that best act, uh, Oscar actor. The other actor nominated that year was Jonah Hill. Uh, I think that's this is probably the best performance we've gotten from Jonah, one that leans on some of his comedic abilities as well as his dramatic abilities, and he's really able to play such a like a sleazy guy in this, but he's mm-hmm. also so intensely charming. I don't know if uh, his is a performance that stuck out to you, whether you want to talk about some of the other uh, incredible cast members that are in this movie. Yeah, I know the, the thing with Jonah, besides wearing the prosthetic that he wore, uh, <laughs> that I think surprised everybody uh, on the day. Um, yeah. There was that story about him taking the pay cut. Right. Just to be able to be in this movie. Like, he didn't care. He just wanted to be in there. And I think that's I mean, that's a great perfect. choice. Yeah. Fantastic choice. Um, because it plays so much into his character, right? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines that my brother and I quote from him all the time. You show me a check for $73,000 and I'll quit my job right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he calls up his boss and, and quits the same day. I yeah. know. He, dude, there is no better Jonah Hill performance. He, yeah. he knew what he was in. He, yes. Jonah Hill knew he was in a Scorsese movie. And then Jonah Hill used that energy to feel like he was being uh, ushered in through this guy who took him to the next level within the film. Uh, you had mentioned mm-hmm. War Dogs earlier. Yeah, the, the man copy-pasted what he learned from this movie over there. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, I also got to commend him a lot because I know that Scorsese is one of the very few directors who doesn't use improv as a crutch. Oh, I finished the script. Go do something. He uses oh, improv actually, as that glue to really yeah. bring things together and make it feel more cohesive. He actually had a great quote about improv at the the Killers Q and A that I was at. He said that what he doesn't that? like to think. He said he doesn't like to think about it as improv. He likes to think about it as behavior, and that if an actor is properly locked into the scene, that they're just doing a natural behavior. Which That's is like, actually, he, he's wow. a, he's a good filmmaker. He knows his way around to say. I don't know what to say. That's um, this movie, man. And I, yeah. I think Jonah Hill is probably the one who stands out the most for that. The way he just like says things, you can tell. I don't think that's in the script. It feels too natural. Mm-hmm. Like they'll find their way back to whatever the plot needs to lead them to next. But no, nah, there's so much. Again, the, the tax write-off scene with the dad about what he needed to, to get written off is hilarious. I know yeah. when they first do drugs in the bar, um, it's just this banter back and forth that like it, it feels really raw. And I think that's why people get so attached and swept up that they go, oh, I feel like I'm becoming the bad guy. It's <laughs> It just makes it feel really authentic. Yeah. Uh, Continuing with some of the performances, this was, I think, a lot of people's introduction to Margot Robbie, and she is just uh, electric in this movie. Yeah. Obviously looks amazing in the film, but is just like goes toe to toe with Leo in these scenes and is so dynamic and and interesting to watch, nails the accent and everything. I mean, she was it's one of those performances that it's like instant movie star. You know, you see her and you know she's going to have like a huge, huge career. And now? I mean, we've done brackets, right? We named her right. as the top star. But like, She's Barbie. Like, 
no, bro, she is a juggernaut. Like, the actress yeah. thing shouldn't even be debated. It's just this idea about how she moves through productions, man. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some stuff at the festivals that it said Margot Robbie was producer. I was like, your producer? I think Saltburn? Yeah. I think Saltburn yeah. may be hers. And I'm like, how are you dipping your toes into all of this? And they're all... Mm -hmm. Hits, in my opinion. I, I know some of them may have not hit the best at the box office, but I love those movies that she's been in, uh, from The Wrist in Babylon to a bunch of the other little projects. It, one of the best things to have come out of this movie, you know, because I think she was doing a, a lot of Australian soaps before yeah. jumping into Hollywood, uh, and this just catapulted her. And yeah, another iconic scene, another iconic gift scene as well with the absolutely uh, the, the pink heels. <laughs> uh, circling back to the Oscars, this movie was nominated for five of them, including Best Picture and Best Director. As we mentioned earlier, Cuaron took Best Director for Gravity, and that year, 12 Years a Slave actually took home Best Picture. Mm. Um, it was also nominated alongside American year. Hustle, Captain Phillips, yeah, uh, Gravity, Her, Philomena. In retrospect, though, do you feel like Wolf of Wall Street was robbed here? Any other pick? Yes. Right. But 12 Years was a uh, standout for me. And I think uh, when I made my list, I did put them as 12 Years number one and Wolf mm -hmm. of Wall Street number two or three, I want to say. I can't remember if there was something else out that year. Um, yeah. This wasn't the whiplash year, was it? No, it was not. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's really... I love Steve McQueen a lot. You know, we're, we were even yeah. discussing sitting down for his four-hour documentary. So it's like mm -hmm. you're bringing up a filmmaker that I would go up to bat for, but for the general public, no, it was Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, 12 Years a Slave is a really, really excellent film, uh, as is Gravity, I think. like It doesn't necessarily get talked about uh, that much, but I, th I think it still stands the test of time. Her is another one that, it, you know, Damn, maybe no, a little bit underrated. Here, in the, yeah, I still think I would go with uh, Wolf of Wall Street and Scorsese really? here. You know, I, I wonder even had he not had the success of Best Picture and Best Director for The Departed, Departed. like five years before this movie had they might had they maybe would consider it for for this one because yeah i don't know it, it's maybe? such an achievement i could see that i think it was just a year where they were really trying to split about uh the categories and i know there was a lot of hashtags coming out for the oscars during that period in time right. but i mean easily the wolf of wall street out of that whole bunch i think has stood the test of time um that you can rewatch and be like oh yeah this hits on all cylinders i think gravity does still hold it but totally. it's also another movie where the influence is now everywhere. You know, everyone's making a gravity type movie. And again, yeah. it's one of those where 10 years down the line, you're not quoting the one from 2015 or 2020. You're still quoting, damn, they're pulling a gravity. Damn, they're pulling a right. Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, more some of the other ones you had mentioned. Her. Uh, uh, you know, like we're not even going to get into an hour discussion. Yeah, on her, but that's yeah. another one as well, where everyone's trying to build that type of world that feels so lived in of a future that feels like a now with technology. What a year. It, it was a fantastic year, dude. Uh, man, I mean, so many other things to discuss potentially with Wolf of Wall Street. John Bernthal, it, it's a, fantastic. A, yeah, I mean, it, all, all the like smaller performances in that movie are, are so great. Are there any particular scenes that uh, stand out to you? Is it hard to argue against the whole Quaalude sequence? The Quaalude sequence is fantastic. I keep going back to that text right off one because Rob Reiner, who plays the dad, is just mm -hmm. so funny hearing all that. And mm -hmm. you can tell it's all being improvised. And they're like, I don't know on what take having to deal with this, like, excuses. I thought that was hysterical. Um, Chris Emiliotti. They should be another yeah. one to mention because uh, he has multiple lovers in the movie, uh, partners. Mm -hmm. And she would have been the first one. And, and right. she's kind of like the, uh, the departure of his normal life into what would be this life of glamour. 
that he leaves behind. And I think you, again, you see these checkpoints that aren't going, this is a bad guy. You're seeing the actions. And I think that's crazy to me that people need to hear it because they can't see it. And it's totally. like, well, that's what the movie's telling you. That's how and these that bad might guys be... get away. That might be a perfect place to discuss the ending of the film, which I think is one of the most poignant film, uh, poignant endings that Scorsese has put together in that Jordan Belfort through this film has uh, has his highs, had his lows, gone through the criminal justice system and come out on the other side, selling himself yet again, selling himself uh, to people. And we leave him uh, at the front of this conference room and we see all these people with their eyes trained on him despite his, what he's been through, still listening, still tuning in, still looking to him for advice on how to get ahead. And, and that ultimately is kind of the point that we've been driving home here in that it's your own fascination sometimes with these seedy people, the, these uh, despicable people, these potentially evil people that helps give them the power that they have. When we, mm -hmm. when we keep paying attention to them, when we keep giving them platforms and when we, uh, you know, don't simply like look away from or, or turn away, I guess that they're, they're built back up again, despite what they did before. So to me, like some people say, Oh, it's like, Criti criticizing the audience instead of criticizing Belfort. I think it's just sort of criticizing the way that uh, people are allowed to move through and and how easy it is for people to get duped and manipulated by the these, you know, slick talkers. The wolf? I don't know. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's, it's right? in the title. It's in the title. Yeah, yeah, do you criticize the sheep for being eaten by the wolf? Like, the, right? It's, a lot of the times the arguments that I, I feel get brought up are like, what does that have to do with anything? I, just turn off the movie, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, right? I don't know. Yeah. Now I remember because this would have been a, a one of the first movies, uh, I, I want to say, when we started off doing YouTube. Um, yeah. And uh, back when I was on the A to Z show, I remember I covered this movie and I got so much flack for it, bro, from a lot of people who were, who were close to me. They were like, why are you covering this filth? Why are you covering that? I'm like, go watch football then uh, with the right. cheerleaders and whatever else that you guys are <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I can guarantee you the stuff they do in this movie. Read the Bible. Song of Songs, bro. They got hookers. They got prostitutes. <laughs> they got drugs, too. Like, I, I don't know, man. It's very biblical. It's, it's don't trust a wolf in sheep's clothing. Absolutely. It's just modern day. Uh, where does this film stack up against the rest of Scorsese's filmography to you? Is this one of his best? Is it top five? Best of the last 10, 15 years? I know for a fact right now it's top seven, right? Okay. I'm a person who has um, Goodfellas up there. I do have Irishman up there. And the more that I was thinking about it, I was looking at the Departed and the Raging Bulls. All those are very mm. close. But I think I have Casino and Aviator up there. Ooh, interesting. With Wolf maybe being... I think Wolf is his, his third best film. His I think third it's top best? Three. I think it's top three. Nice. Uh, I wouldn't argue with you there. I, I know that there's probably some like Scorsese scholars out there who would find it uh, blasphemous to to put it up there, but to me, it's definitely top three. I got it up there along with oh, Goodfellas, okay. Taxi Driver. Uh, you know, I, I'd probably put Raging Bull and Departed in there to round out my top five. But I just I think it's something that is a combination of all the best things that Scorsese can do. And it's got this breadth to it. That's like, it's novelistic in, in the, its approach to character and story. And I'm, I just am always along for the ride. And despite it's three hour runtime, it doesn't really feel, it doesn't feel that at all. You can put it on and just like coast through that movie. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. That's a fantastic one. 10 years later, still worth a rewatch. 
Absolutely. So uh, that is our look back at the Wolf of Wall Street here on the Intercut Film Club. Again, we'll be doing more Scorsese movies throughout uh, October. Scorsese-tober mm-hmm. as we lead our way up to uh, the very exciting release of Killers of the Flower Moon. Art, I cannot wait for you uh, to excited. get a chance to catch that movie. Uh, but I think that's about all for this edition of Intercut. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on various social media platforms at Zshevich, Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Movies on Letterboxd, YouTube, Twitter, X, all of the social medias for the most part. If you search up LME Movies, I should be there. Yeah. You can find me every week here on the Intercut Podcast. Next week, we've got... Uh, we're doing, oh shoot, I should have that more readily available, right? I believe Are we doing... it's going to be After Hours as well yeah. as King of Comedy, two movies. There we go. Scorsese and New spots. York. Yeah. yeah. So we've got a couple Very of themes exciting. besides revisiting uh, Wolf of Wall Street for this uh, edition. We've got the New York edition next week. Uh, our third week is going to be our Scorsese and Religion edition. So make sure you mm. bring your holy water and are blessed. And then we'll be wrapping it up with Killers of the Flower Moon, which I am... I'm so ecstatic to catch, bro. Oh, man. It is uh, such an amazing movie. I can't wait to get into that discussion. Kill Us the Flower Moon even playing in New York? Uh, film festival? New York Film Festival? No, man. They they played Con and they're going straight to wide release. So you got to see it just like a regular opening screening? Uh, it, was a, it was a guild screening. I was at the Director's Guild Theater. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty nice. Thelma was there. Uh, some costume designers. We'll talk about it more. Okay, okay. <laughs> Schoonmaker. Um, yeah, all right. <laughs> I heard it was a big cast, I, bro. I, heard I clicked the... away so I couldn't see. <laughs> I couldn't look at you to see how sarcastic you were being. <laughs> if my mouth is open, I'm probably being sarcastic. But I heard it was a really good, uh, good uh, ensemble that they had there for the Q and A. Oh yeah, it, it was uh, great. You're I mean, always, always like, you did the same thing teach. for the Irishman, man. It was all three of the good fellows were there too. Like what? Um, anyway, you can catch more from Intercut. Listen to us over on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And make sure you subscribe not just to the audio version, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash YouTube.com slash IntercutPod. We can catch our bright smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekly, weekly or Intercut Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday. And please leave us a comment, like the video, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much requested five star review and shout out to our listeners in Canada for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Uh, Like our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, whatever they are, support our Patreon. You can find all of them at intercut pod, as well as a link to our discord in the description. Uh, You'll get updates throughout the week from art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut, if you're tuned into those channels. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, I will not die sober. <laughs>